0: I think it can be as simple as in a novel lots of things happen and in a story one thing maybe happens.
1: Welcome to We Can Print This,
2: a podcast telling the story you don't know behind the story you do.
1: My name is Fiona McCann. I'm Eden Don. And every week we interview a writer of some kind, any kind really, about the stories behind their stories. And if you like our podcast, please do us a huge favor and send it on to a friend who you think might like it. You'll be doing them a favor too. Or you can support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash We Can't Print This.
2: This week, we have Vahini Vara, whose debut novel, The Immortal King Rao, was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize and is currently being made into a television series. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She's been a tech reporter at the Wall Street Journal and later launched, edited, and wrote for the business section of the New Yorker's website and is a Wired contributing editor. On Saturday, November 4th, she will be present at the Portland Book Festival along with many amazing authors and Fiona and I. Go to literary-arts.org for the full schedule and figure out how you're coming because you're going to want to be there.
1: And please come say hi. If you're there in person, we'd love to say hello. Yeah. Come say hi. So
2: today we talked to Vahini about her new book, which is a beautiful collection of short stories. This is Salvaged. And I wanted to ask you about, because we have not really talked about short stories on this podcast. Have you ever written short stories? Do you have a favorite short story? I'm fascinated with these tiny pieces of writing that somehow suck us in.
1: I love this form and it also terrifies me because it always has felt to me like maybe the hardest thing to write, even though you'd think it would be easier. I think loads of people are like, "Eh, I don't know if I have a novel in me. I'll try a short story. And it turns out that in many ways, a short story for me, at least, is even harder to write because or it feels to me that it can be so much about what you leave out and the choices of things to leave out. Whereas with a novel, you have room to throw everything in with the kitchen sink. Who cares? Like throw it all in. Um, and in a but in a way, short stories can be so much more powerful because of that, I think there's one like now this is a very very short story, flash fiction short story that has always stayed with me, which is probably it's very widely known, and this is the whole entire story I'm gonna read to you, so buckle up for sale, baby shoes never worn, six words that's it, and it has wow. the whole story. I think that it has been attributed to Ernest Hemingway, but I don't know if that's actually true. Fact check. Um, but I think it's kind of an example of how powerful it can be because... It's what's unsaid. It's what's unsaid. And then the
2: audience or the reader I, brings their emotions and their, their backstory to it too. That's what's interesting about that, right?
1: Yeah, and it feels so poignant and somehow devastating yeah. In the six words, I mean there there yeah, there's a lot in there. Now most short stories are a little bit longer than that. <laughs> That's a little bit, a little per- bit longer. Particularly short one. What about you have you, are there any sort of of the genre out there that you're like this one really blew my mind at the time?
2: When we said short story, I thought about the fact that I read this short story 20 some years ago and still talk about it or think about it, which is wild that like 15 pages of something has stayed with me that long. And it's this Stephen King story called, you know, they got a hell of a band. Have you, do you know it? I don't know, but that's a
1: really good title actually. I know it is
2: a good title. Well, Stephen King is like, which you know, I read Stephen King too young and now I have a fear of clowns and a variety of other issues stemming <laughs> from it, but whatever. It's a couple drives basically in the woods in Oregon and they get lost and then they stumble upon this little town which is called Rock and Roll Heaven, Oregon. And they go into the diner because their car breaks down and it's like Janice Joplin is like their waitress. And then they're like, oh, but and then the mayor looks a lot like Elvis Presley and like, oh, God, is that Otis Redding? Who's like the cop? And you realize that the whole town is dead rock stars who are slowly like rotting away and they try to leave, but they're not able to escape. And every night there is a concert with all the greatest musicians of your entire life. But it goes on for years at a time because time is just like stuck. And basically they're stuck in rock and roll, heaven, an organ forever. And I think of it all of the time when we're like driving in the woods or going for a hike that we're just going to stumble upon like Elvis
1: Presley in the woods <laughs> who's going to trap us there. It's so good. I mean, only Stephen King can make something like that so creepy. Even though part of me is like, "Wow, it'd be so great to see Janice Joplin live, but forever." But Maybe forever not. at not
2: <laughs> your choice.
1: Yeah, Anyways, that sounds creepy AF. Because
2: it's a, what you—it's like the bits where you fill in, and I definitely had that with some of Vahini's stories, particularly these the egg roll girls, as I call them, where I couldn't get over wondering what happened to them.
1: I know. See, this is why you're scarred for life after reading some of these. <laughs> uh, my introduction to the writer, Laurie Moore, was through a stor- short story, and I have read everything she's written ever since because of this one story, in which in the first paragraph, this 35-year-old woman who you know doesn't have any kids of her, of her own by choice is constantly being given babies to hold in a way that's kind of irritating, and somebody shoves one in her hands at a party and... She drops it and it dies. And that is the beginning of the story, which always felt to me like the boldest opening of a story ever in the history of stories. That
2: is a bold opening. And also why do you only like sad baby related
1: stories? <laughs> I don't know. What's what is going on with me? you? I have some stuff to work through maybe. I don't know. Yeah, but that yeah. was so, um, yeah, it's a, I would encourage you if that, I, it, it goes on from there and there is a whole story beyond that, which is maybe kind of part of the lesson is, you know, something terrible can happen and there's still a story afterwards yeah. for whoever the protagonist is. So I'd encourage you to read it and to read Volhini's Marvelous New Collection also. Yeah,
0: let's let's get on with that. This just arrived yesterday, by the, by the way. I'm like... This is like the first time I'm holding it. Oh, yay. So we I'm were
1: reading the PDF
0: too. And then oh, right, that's arrived. right. Oh, and yours finally did arrive. Good, good, good. Yeah, she
2: she got the real copy and I was I was on a PDF and the one thing I know about PDF on an e-reader is you can't zoom in. So uh, I just held it here, oh which geez, made me I'm sorry. actually it's a very good emotional trick because I was like I am so invested. <laughs> right. I'm so in this. <laughs> I am so invested. But I do I would love to get straight into talking about the new book because it's such an unusual Format. They feel so personal, but I'm saying the tone feels like this is a personal essay, like somebody's telling it, but they're there are these short stories. How did you decide to write in that format? And did you ever decide to build an arc? I'm so curious.
0: <laughs> oh, that's so interesting. Um Yeah, what an interesting question. I um I don't know that I conceived of these as um That's a really interesting way to put them, though, to to put it, though, to sort of describe them as essayistic in form, almost, or sort of as like very reading, almost like personal writing, even though they're about characters. I hadn't thought about it that way. But I will say that one thing, you know, I my novel is very um, my novel, The Immortal King Rao, is a really kind of structured book. It took me a long time to write, and I thought a lot about like the kind of the the form necessary to tell this big epic sweeping story like that story is, it's clearly, like there's so much about that book that signals it's artifice, right? There's so much about that, like there are these speculative elements, like d- d- inventions that don't exist in real life that exist in this book, or I'm talking in the novel oh, but about they're
1: things- so <laughs> they're so close. They're so close. They are very
0: close. <laughs> uh, or I'm talking in the novel about these sort of like these fictional futures, like you read the novel and you know you're reading something Fictional. And I think it's true, Eden. I think maybe what you're picking up on is that in the stories, I wanted to, I was writing them sort of simultaneously with the novel. And so every time I went back into the stories, I was aiming for something somewhat different from what I was doing in the novel, which is this sense of like, uh, like sort of contemporary authenticity, this sense that like the things happening in the stories are things that really could be happening, the ways the stories are being told. Are using kind of techniques, narrative techniques that like aren't too different from sitting next to someone in a bar and having them talk to you. This is true in some of the stories. Some of the stories are somewhat more experimental in form, and yeah. So I think like that was something that I was going for, and I think that's what you're noticing.
1: I am curious too because um, obviously you have this sort of vast journalistic body of work, and then you have a novel, and now you have you know fictional short stories. Are are you feeling that kind of comfort in all forms? Does not feel experimental? I'm going to try and tell something in a different way. We come from journalism, so we naturally (laughs) gravitate towards
2: loving all journalists.
0: (laughs) Yes, I love all journalists too. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. Solidarity. Um, We need it in our industry, right? Um, I really do. I, um, yeah, I hadn't realized this about myself until... I started doing interviews about my work and people started asking me about all these different forms. Um, But I do write in many, many different forms. Um, And I think the reason I hadn't realized that about myself, but I think the reason for that is that I think what has come naturally for me always as a writer is for the form to kind of follow function, essentially, right, for the for the chosen form, whether it's a piece of journalism or a short story or a novel or an essay, to kind of emerge from the material itself. And, um, and I love that. I mean, I think I would get bored if I were only a fiction or only a novelist or only a story writer, only an essayist or only a journalist. Um, And I get a lot of energy from like exercising these different muscles and trying, trying different things. Um, uh, which I think is also the reason that even though I was writing this story collection, this is salvaged and my novel, The Immortal King Rao, simultaneously, like I, the the modes in some ways, the styles of writing are very different in the two. I, yeah, I get a lot out of, out of that. Well, I'm
2: really fascinated by people who are good journalists and then are also good fiction writers because it's a completely different part of your brain where, I I, I mean, I'm saying this all because I don't think I could write fiction in any way. I need to see the real thing and like study and understand every angle to it. And then I can write about anything. But the bit where you're like, I'm going to create the world in my head and be able to write it at that level of detail. I just think it's such an interesting thing because it's really two different skill sets. Like not all writing translates.
0: Yeah. No, it's interesting. I, you know, I was talking to a journalist friend, who was working on a book a journalistic book and it occurred to me in that conversation that there is there is a feeling that's similar in journalism and fiction writing i think which is that moment you get to in both journalism and fiction writing where you're stuck and you're just like oh i can't i don't have the story yet right like you as journalists know that feeling of being like oh, i just it's don't have terrible. it yet yeah. And um, <laughs> no, I always have it immediately. Right. <laughs> and then there are two options. Like either you're just never gonna have the story, and at some point you have to abandon it, or you're gonna keep trying to get the story, and the thing you have to do to keep trying to get the story is essentially talk to more people or go back to the people you've already talked to. Like you're sort of like plumbing the existing world as it is to get the information that you need, which are the ingredients for a story that feeling isn't too different for me from the feeling of being stuck in fiction, where again, one option when you're stuck is to abandon the piece because it's just not working. But then the other option is to get that material. But here you're not getting the material usually by going out and talking to more people. The material is all sort of coming internally. And so for me as a with when I'm sort of in fiction writer mode, I'll like, I'll go for a walk or I'll set the thing aside and do other work for a while or or I'll talk to a writer friend or I'll share a draft with a writer friend, right? Um, and get ideas. And so like the solution to the problem is very different, but emotionally or psychologically, it feels very similar.
1: I can see that it is interesting to me that in a way, if I'm hearing it correctly, this the story kind of suggests the form in itself. Yeah. Um, but but I am curious, when you're in the fictional realm, like in This is Salvaged, what stories you come to you or suggest themselves as a short story as opposed to something more expansive? Because Immortal King Rao is expansive and has many of these characters, and I can't imagine it having been told another way. But these stories and short stories always seems to me like the most difficult of the form because there's so much that you have to convey in this finite space Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it's just such a different skill set so how do you know in in sort of when we're in the fictional realm how do you know well this one is going to be a short story and this story is telling me it needs more yeah I mean I have in some ways a very basic almost like almost
0: elementary sounding way of answering that question which is I think it can be as simple as in a novel, lots of things happen, and in a story, one thing maybe happens. And that one thing could happen over a hundred years in a short story. You know, there are stories like that that I love. Um, but there's sort of one one plot movement and one essential sort of central character change, right that takes place in a story. And in a novel, Lots of things can be going on at once. A novel can be about many different things. I had a teacher once, the writer Adam Johnson, who said something like, a short story can be perfect, but there's never been a perfect novel that's been written. So that's part of it too, right? Like a short story feels contained. Like there's there's less space, there are fewer words, literally, and therefore there's less room for error than with a novel. So those are all of the kind of ways in which I think about it. I used to, um, teach in
2: the college here. I I come from a a fashion background. I've been a fashion editor and my, my writing for fashion students would ask me like, how do you know when your story is done? And I remember saying when the deadline is Yes, (laughs) that really is, you know, you can keep working on something forever. And there's a bit of writers that will keep working on something for forever, which is, but when the, when you got to turn something in, that's when it's
0: done. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, and I think that's been, that's, been hard for me because as a journalist, the thing that has always dictated that a story is done is literally that someone's prying it out of my hands and putting it into the paper, right? Or into a magazine. And so I've never had to do that for myself. And I think that may have something to do with the fact that with both my short story collection and my novel, I worked on them for 13
1: years or more, you know? Yeah. Wow. It shows. It's They're wonderful. There are a lot of personal details and it's hard sometimes not to, when you're reading a writer, you know, and you see like a sibling death and think, oh my gosh, did this happen to her? Which it did. Or, you know, these are personal details from your own life. Can you tell me a little bit about that process and how, how much of your own lived experience goes in, went into these stories?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. So my sister died of cancer when I was a freshman in college and she was a junior in college. I'm so um sorry. thank you. And I I probably identified as a writer by that point like I had worked on my high school newspaper and I'd written little things here and there like I identified as a creative person, but I hadn't taken any creative writing classes yet and I happened to take my first creative writing class like the semester that I returned to college after my sister passed away. And it turned out, like I didn't know that this was what I was looking for, but for me it turned out to be like this vehicle to process my grief over my sister's death. It was something that like I had a hard time finding words for, like I had a hard time talking about verbally. And so I would write short stories all about all about loss and grief of some form, often the loss of a sibling or the loss of my sister, I'd call it a story, but it would really be about myself. Those were my roots as a writer, like that's how I learned to be a writer. And so for me, in some ways, I was taking short story classes. And so in some ways, I think that form for me almost became kind of psychologically inextricable from writing about grief, Um, writing about grief, but also like sisterhood, female relationships, like all the kinds of things that I was concerned with, like loss of female female connection in particular. I had that same, that same mentor and professor I mentioned earlier, the writer Adam Johnson. I remember at some point said to me, listen, if you're going to be a writer, at some point you'll need to write about other things, um, which I don't think meant for him, like you can't write about grief. I think what he meant was, you can't have literally every story be about a woman in college who has lost her sister, right? I mean, you can. The argument can be made that one can do so, but the argument can probably also be made convincingly that like it's a a more interesting writing life can be had from, you know, stretching beyond, um, beyond that literal subject matter. And so I think it was on that advice that I started thinking more broadly about writing and like doing more imagining and making up characters, but always I would like, I would come back to these themes. Um, and you're right. Like certainly a number of the stories in the book are include characters who have lost siblings and that's not a coincidence.
2: Yeah. And I think that it seems like such a lovely time for writing to have found you then, you know, yeah. like writing can be so cathartic for all of us in all these different ways. And sometimes sometimes, I wish, I think people get consumed with the idea of writing of like, well, I'm not professional. I'm not trained. I don't know if that's a thing that has come up on this podcast a lot is where like, all you have to do to be a writer is write.
1: That's it.
2: You don't have to have a journalism degree. You don't have to have had, like, you need to have some feelings and some thoughts. Fiona and I were looking at our journals from when we were 12 yesterday for a bonus episode. And it was just the most cringy, embarrassing things of all time. But that was the beginning, right? It's like writing down your thoughts and feelings and noticing the world. And it really, it probably saved both of us from a lot of the turmoil in adolescence since every single thing was the most dramatic day of our lives
1: I love you do it's a little bit mortifying because you want to go back to your journals and see that you were like a mini Proust in the making you know (laughs) I wanted to go in and see well obviously I was going to be a writer look at this beautiful prose but it's inane and boring and not even all spelled correctly and you know (laughs) I've done the same I hear you Uh, so it's embarrassing. I mean, I, I love what you're saying about your teaching and I want to ask you a little bit about the importance of that scene as it's come up, but also I balk a little people when people immediately put a restriction on anything, like you can't always write about that. I immediately think, well, yes, you can. Yeah, I do the same. I I do the same. I don't think, I think if a student
0: were writing about the same thing all the time, I probably like, you can do whatever you want. That's what's nice about being a writer, you know?
2: But encouraging somebody to zoom out, to take the core of what's there and zoom out, I do feel like that's good advice from a man. Exactly. To be yes. like, I kn- you're, this is here. This part is always with you. And now how do you use that part in other ways? And clearly you did it because every single one as I was reading through, I really kept going like, I went and read your bio like three times because they all felt so personal. I mean, obviously I knew you were not a man who had left his wife to go build the ark or, you know, like I said, (laughs) this thing, but I kept being like, I feel like I just need to quite go check and make sure I'm not missing something. And are they all rooted in truth? Do you research other people's lives? Or do you just take the bits from you that feel like reality and put them onto your characters?
0: Uh, first of all, that is a really flattering compliment. Thank you to say, you know, to say like these all felt real and they felt personal, even though obviously you didn't build an arc. Um, that means a lot to me. So that that feels really nice to, to hear. I'm literally, I'm opening the book right now and looking at the table of contents. I can say that
2: also, so presumptuous of me to be
0: like, you didn't no. build an ark. I don't know what you're doing in yeah. Colorado. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I just don't put it in my bio, but it's a little yeah. distracting. Um, almost every story, probably every story, has some element that's taken from my life or an experience that I of had. Of course.
1: I totally appreciate that. Um, I think I was going to ask a little bit, because you brought up teaching as well, about sort of there. there's often kind of some tension between whether you ever need to learn anything about writing or whether it should be just practice and obviously you have gone to writing classes in some you know you mentioned in college and having this teacher how important do you think that was for you that sort of treating it as as a subject to learn in that way and having people actually to learn from do you think that's an essential part of becoming a writer for you
0: I think learning from other writers and being in community with other writers is, I would probably describe that as essential, but I don't know that it necessarily needs to take the form of being taught by a writer you admire or being in community with writers in a master's program in creative writing. I think it's very possible to become a great writer by reading voraciously and learning from what you're reading. and sharing your work with your best friend or partner or a peer you met at a coffee shop right who's also interested in writing so i don't think i don't see any reason why sort of institutional places that in which writing is taught are better or sort of qualitatively better places to learn writing than all the other places one can learn writing the craft is right there on the page. So really all you need is those words in order to learn something about how writing functions.
2: Yeah. I think a small writers group and, and we have, we've discussed this with other writers, even a reading group, even mm-hmm. people who don't always fancy themselves as being top-notch writers, but they're like avid readers, I think can be really helpful for somebody to look at your work because What you really need is to just get some feedback and something pushed out of that bit where, I don't think people understand how often writing is so lonely. Yeah. You know, like Fiona yeah. and I are both such extroverts. And then we, we chose this career where I'm like, hold on, let me go into a quiet room now with a laptop and see no one for days. And then you come out and just look like a little feral raccoon being like, can I, anybody, somebody <laughs> talk to me. And also somebody read this and tell me if it's a masterpiece or just absolute idiocy. I'm not sure. Totally. <laughs> I, I want to ask you about Immortal King Rao getting turned into a show, which I like can you, I'm very curious how that happened, but also you've talked a couple of times and about how many years you worked on this project and so so this thing that you have had and I'm sure that while you were writing it working on it, you have some pictures in your mind like you have these ideas of how it's gonna look and how that's feeling to hand it over a little bit to somebody else.
1: it's like, here's my baby you go. R- raise it and send it back to me yeah I even have pictures in my mind about what those characters look like and how that's right treated, so I can't imagine what you
0: feel oh I love that my film and tv agent sent out the the book a production company was interested in optioning it and the rest is sort of history they they hired a writer an Indian American writer Madhuri Shekar, to to write the script one interesting aspect of this actually is that I never had any interest in being involved in the writing of the TV show. You said it must feel strange to like sort of grant the authority to these other people to do something with my work. But to me, it feels like the book is my book. And if somebody wants to option that and make their own creative project out of it like that's that's fine with me if you're gonna pay me that's do whatever you want with with it um, It's fine fine with me and really I would love to watch this show and see what it's like but I don't think I, I my my personal con- connection to it I think would feel somewhat marginal I think like I feel like I write the wrote the book and that's my thing and maybe something else will come of it in a totally different form and that'll belong largely to the to the creative minds that put that together And, and it's exciting for me because I love a good TV show. And also because presumably that would draw more people back to my book, but, um, but it feels, yeah, it feels like a totally different thing to me somehow.
2: I guess that's true. We have to do that as readers and viewers too. I just, like, uh, two weeks ago, finished this very cute book called the flat share and about two people staying in it. And, and then as soon as I got done, literally the day I found out it had been made into a TV show last year. So I got to go oh. straight into being like, oh my gosh, I love this book. Now I'm going to watch the TV show. And of course, there's some script bits that have changed. And at first I was like, this isn't how it's supposed to. And then I have to go like, wait, no, this is a separate thing. Right. I And the show is really cute. But I just had to di- have that bit where I got over that like her job is different. And, she, you know, like you have to
0: surrender a little bit. Right, right. I wonder in some ways because I have that feeling too as a reader and a viewer. I wonder if it's in some ways more difficult to be in that position than to be the one of the creative people involved because when you're when you write a book like you have you've sort of explored all these different possibilities like it none of it seems hard and it's like it could have gone this way, it could have gone that way, this thing could happen, this other thing could happen. But then when you're a reader, all those choices have been made and so you've got it so you've got like the the sort of complete wrapped up in a bow version and I think I wonder psychologically it's harder to go from that to like another version of the material that does something different than to be one of the creative people involved in making it
2: mm. that's, that's that's interesting what good. I'm hearing is it must have been very difficult for me and it yes really- yes <laughs> <laughs> we see I'm sorry I'm sorry for your loss thank you thank you everyone <laughs> for bearing with me during this time of struggle <laughs>
1: Um, I want to bring it back, if we can, with the time that we've left to This is Salvaged. And in part, and I know we've sort of talked about, you know, the range of your work, which is so impressive. But, and I and at the same time, I see sort of a, a through line between a lot of your journalism, which, you know, you've written a lot about technology and the Immortal King Rao, which has a lot of those ideas at its core. And that's why This is Salvaged feels a little different to me. Um, and I want to go right to the end spoiler (laughs) because in some ways it is it is it terribly inappropriate to read the last line of a book to is that i'll leave it to
0: you too because i don't i don't have a preference but if you don't like that
1: kind of spoiler
0: it's not really a plot spoiler of any kind it's not a plot spoiler Yeah, yeah you're not saying the butler did it
1: yeah but the butler did it The butler always not Tell them. Um, What I loved about it, in a way, in a book that has a lot of darkness in it, and in stories that deal with some profound loss, you know, in many different ways, I felt this kind of jolt of human joy at the end and a reminder. And this is the end of the story, Sybil's, which is the last one in the book, where the last line, the last three sentences I'm going to read how alive we were, I remember it, we were here. And it felt like such a landing for so many of the ideas that in a way had percolated through, that there is all of this loss and people die. And at the same time, we are here now, which I mean, maybe I'm overreaching in my interpretation of things, but in a way that I threaded that back through those stories and I was like, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about.
0: absolutely yeah i mean that is um i would say that is sort of what i intended i think i think the were the past tense is is relevant because i think it's also it's not just we've lost some people but at least we're still here and we can think about them and we can appreciate the world as it is it's also yes we've lost these people yes not even just people yes things change right the way things were cannot be the way things are now and yet they did exist at one point, right? Like that did happen. And I think um, I think that was something that I was going for at the end. Um, and it is meant to echo the ending of the first story in which the idea of loss and the way in which some people are gone and then we're still here in the first story, the ending is sort of ends on a note of, somewhat on a note of despair, I would say, um, yeah. but also a character trying to come out of that despair. And I'm hoping that one can read the collection and sort of start with that sense, that sort of emotional texture, and end in this different place. Yeah, that
2: particularly the, that first set of girls, I when I finished that story, I felt concerned about them. Like for a couple of days, I kept feeling concerned about these kids, they're these egg roll eaten kids. And how were they? And how do they end up? And this is why I never watch war movies is because I they stay with me for a long time. But I do. And I think there is that thing is I, I'm like, they're here and they were struggling. And I, are they okay? Yeah. So you can tell me they're okay.
0: They're, they're fine. I'm here to report that they're doing really well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they, I mean, they got it away is, from that creepy dude yes it is interesting because I you know over and over I've had that feeling in the book a little bit like is that little girl okay who's with her stepmother? is are these two Lindsay on the sex line is she okay like there's so many uh, so many times where I was like oh my god none of us are okay oh my god this world that that young women have to live in it's really hard, um, and this is and the first time Fiona's ever realized that. So it's a big moment for her. I'm having
2: like, a revelation. Things are hard for women. <laughs> wait, wait. Did you know this,
1: Eden? <laughs> Breaking news. Breaking news. Women in America are having a hard time. And not only that, I'm like, oh, now it's my job to worry about them. Yeah. But it is interesting as a as a writer to. I think you have to be okay with causing that discomfort in the reader. Like you're not going to make things, not everything has a happy ending or is it neatly tied up in a bow. And so these sort of residual feelings of like, are they okay? Is everyone okay? I mean, it's just kind of a true to life experience. Are we all okay? <laughs> are any of us okay? It's yeah. a constant question. Yeah, probably not.
0: <laughs> and as a reader, I don't know, for me as a reader like ending something with that feeling is a sign that like, I've immersed myself in that world. Right. Like I've, I've, I've become, I've become committed to that, to that world that I'm reading about.
1: Yeah. And the mark of a good short story is how it kind of, uh, stays in your bloodstream for so long afterwards. I mean, the fact that Eden's still concerned about the egg roll (laughs) girls.
0: Yes. No, I fully take that
1: as a compliment. They really was.
2: Um, can I have, before we lose you, I have one quick final swing of a question because we are, we, as we will mention early in the episode, you're coming to Portland Book Fest, which we're so Mm -hmm. excited. I'm just kind of curious from a writer's perspective, what do you like out of a festival? What do you want to happen? Like, do you enjoy meeting the other writers, the readers, the panels, like what, what's the thing? You just love to be on stage. I know you're on quite the (laughs) press tour hubbub right now, but, and doing all of these. So, so what makes you happy
0: about them? Or if it's all work, it's fine. We won't tell Amanda. I do sort of imagine being there and like reconnecting with old writer friends, running around Portland and this festival with Sophie, my best friend and like just getting getting immersed in literary culture like i think as you as you both were saying earlier li- writing and literary culture can be such a solitary thing and so i love festivals where everybody kind of comes together in their appreciation of literature and talks about it out loud and reads from their work out loud i think there's like there's just such a nice energy in that
1: it really feels the creative process too doesn't it it makes you sort of double down in your work so yeah it's it it's a really nice Well, Vahini, thank you so, so much for joining us today. We both really enjoyed and absorbed your stories. This is Salvaged is out. What's the date, Vahini? It's September 26th. Ooh, This is Salvaged is out now. Vahini's website is vahinivara.com. Her Twitter slash X is vahinivara. And that's it from We Can't Print This for today. You can see more info about these episodes, including transcripts and links to things we talked about at WeCanPrintThis.com. Sign up for our newsletter because that's where we keep you up to date on things happening with our podcast pals and culture pics. And please follow us too on socials at We Can't Print This.
2: Thank you to our producer, Miranda Schaefer, and to Dave Depper for our intro music. This podcast, as we were talking about, is recorded at the Writer's Block in Portland. And we always like to say thank you to our third office mate, Rachel Ritchie, who is the one who keeps a clean desk in our room so we have one nice thing to look at. Amid <laughs> the chaos.